Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron with Biblical Archaeology Today. I'm your host, and I am so thankful you've chosen to be with us today. We're going to be looking at the amazing archaeology of Shushan, also known as Susa. And so this is going to be a two-part series, a lot here. So let's get started on pages 1789-1790 of the Archaeological Supplement in the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, 5th edition. I'm sitting here looking at the steel or the, like a small obelisk of the Code of Hammurabi, also known as Hammurabi, King of Babylon, inscribed with 283 laws. It's 80 inches high, and at the top it shows Hammurabi receiving the symbols of authority from the god Marduk. So, that's a wonderful picture. They're in black and white, still good pictures. Can't wait to see what the new Thompson Chain Reference Bibles look like now that they've been purchased by Zondervan. This is a large print church Bible publishing edition that I like a lot. Okay, so Shushan, or Susa, which lies some 200 miles east of Babylon, was the capital of ancient Elam, also known as Susiana, and later the winter capital of the Persian kings. It was the scene of many biblical events in the time of Daniel, Nehemiah, Queen Esther, and King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes. The French began excavations here in 1852 under the direction of W.K. Loftus, resumed them in 1884 under M. Dun. Let me see if I can get that name, Dulafoy, and have continued the work under Jacques de Morgan and others. The ruins are in four sections and cover about 4,900 acres. That's massive, an acre. 212 by 212 feet. Therefore, they may never be completely excavated. A lot to excavate there. Only a limited number of archaeologists. Dulafoy, aided by his wife, discovered the palace fortress, which the writer of the book of Esther calls Shushan the palace. It covered 123 acres. Could you imagine a palace covering 120? That's a farm. A big farm, unless you're in North Dakota, was raised high above the surrounding city and was made up of the throne room, the house of the king, the house of the women, along with the inner and outer courts, the palace garden, pylons, stairways, terraces, and a few archways. The throne room was a great hypostyle hall, which covered nearly an acre of ground. So this is just amazing, and it you know, it really helps you set the picture of the book of Esther. Um, it had 36 noble columns, six rows of six each, with capitals carved in the form of bulls kneeling back to back. Reminds me of Solomon's temple. And by long cedar of Lebanon beams spanning the great distance between the massive columns. And those cedar of Lebanon beams would have had to be transported, you know, thousand miles or so. Here 
became the king when he sat on the throne of his kingdom. And here were held his banquets and state social events, such as the prolonged banquet described in the first chapter of the book of Esther. And there's really nothing the like this. I, I don't know if Versailles or Versailles in, in France or I'm not sure of the biggest palaces in the world, the Taj Mahal, these would pale in comparison to this thing. The floor of the throne room was a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble, just as it's been described in the book of Esther. And see, to me, that just proves the veracity of Scripture so much. This entire narrative does. Across this marble uh, floor had walked the beautiful Queen Esther at the risk of her life as she approached the crimson, crimson canopy throne stopping before the carpet which only the feet of the king were to tread, there to intercede for the lives of her people. So she approached the crimson canopied throne, stopping before the carpet. I think that's so fascinating. Where only the feet of the king were to tread. That's interesting. Good preaching there. In front of this great pillared throne room were the palace gardens where walked the king as he pondered the evil deeds of Haman. Nearby were the ruined house of the king and the house of the women. These were separate yet adjacent to each other. Then there was the king's gate where sat Mordecai the Jew. And in among the debris, Dulafoy even found a quadrangular prism or dice, prism or dice, on which were engraved the numbers 1, 2, 5, and 6. With this die or purr, they cast lots. They cast uh, per, that is, the lot, is an explanation for the Jews as to how Haman cast lots for fixing a date for the destruction of the Jews. So that's significant, that even the method Haman cast, they have found the per, maybe not that identical per, maybe it was, or die, like a dice, but... Uh, so they know it is from that antiquity. So they're finding the place where Mordecai was, where Esther was, the gardens where, you know, Xerxes or Hazarus considered his throne room. All this is so amazing. The house of the women is mentioned in Scripture, even the marble floor, just like it is in Scripture. So you can see why this is so significant for biblical archaeology. It all made so proud and profound an impression upon Dulafoy that he made a scale model of the great palace in which he'd been acted so many of the events in the book of Esther and placed it in the Museum of the Louvre in Paris. With these restorations, one can readily locate the king's gate where sat Mordecai, the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house where Esther appeared without being bidden by the king, the outward court of the king's house where Haman came to ask the king to have Mordecai hung, and the palace garden where the king went to think and cool off his anger against Haman. Thus were aided in restoring the structural surroundings of the palace and in gaining a more exact acquaintance with the many events that took place there and of seeing the marvelous accuracy of the book of Esther. In 1901, the Morgan's men uncovered three fragments of black diorite, which then fitted together, formed an impressive 
round-topped steel, or stele, some pronounce it, monument some seven feet, five inches high, and proved to be the laws of Hammurabi. At the top of the monument is a bas-relief, like a carving, showing Shamash, the sun god, in the act of giving the laws to King Hammurabi. So under the picture, it says Marduk, and then here it says Shamash, the sun god. I'd always thought it was the sun god, but maybe there's some correlation there between Marduk and Shamash, because they did have uh, the same deity with different names, just like the Greeks and the Romans did. Beneath the carving appears the lengthy code inscribed in cuneiform script and comprising some 282 statutes written in 300 lines. Excuse me, 3,000 lines. Forgive me for that. And so I may have said 282 law, 83 laws earlier. I meant 282. I'm reading out of this, and I still... Even the large print edition is not real big print, but I thank God I can even read it. <laughs> I'm 55 with no glasses. 248 of the statutes remain in a fairly good state of preservation, whereas from five to seven columns in the text at the bottom of the front side had been erased at some time previous to its discovery. Pierre-Jean-Vincent Scheele, a brilliant French Assyriologist, translated and published the code, let me get to this, within three months, it soon became recognized as one of the most important legal documents that has come down to us from antiquity. And there are similarities to it and, say, the Mosaic Law, but as you really delve into it, it quickly becomes apparent the Mosaic Law is more just and upright and uh, comes from monotheism. And the, the Mosaic Law, as you study it, is not based on this kind of a supposition that different laws, whether it's here, the Nutsi tablets, or some other ones, maybe uh, Rosh Shamra, Ugarit, that... Uh, they're all basically Middle Eastern laws, and they have some similarities. But uh, there is a superiority, and the Bible proclaims that, you know, God says, this is how people are going to know you're my people because of the superiority of the laws that I give you. So we're going to stop right there and join us again tomorrow for part two. A lot more to look into, but we've already been seeing so many proofs of the Bible. You might want to jot those things down in a journal a notebook just to equip you so you can be prepared to give a, a reason for the answer of the hope that lies within you. And uh, we're just so thankful you listened to us. Please subscribe, share, join us. Please leave a five-star review. We really need that. So God bless. I'll talk with you later in Jesus' name.